Hey friends, before the show I'd like to plug the store of our friends at Terracotta Distribution. At their storefront, shop.terracottadistribution.com, you'll find a wide range of Asian DVDs and Blu-rays from Kim Kidak to Jackie Chan, from Ho Shao Shen to Bloody Muscle Bodybuilder in Hell, aka the Japanese Evil Dead. This was even put out on a limited run VHS, folks. New titles are being added regularly, and if you go to shop.terracottadistribution.com and enter the discount code POFN. 10 that's p-o-f-n-1-0 this gives podcast on fire network listeners 10 percent off at checkout the discount code is p-o-f-n-10 and visit shop.terracottadistribution.com for more and let's get on with the show Welcome to a podcast on fire on one-armed swordsman and one-armed boxer. Chop chop. Twice the Jimmy Wang Yu losing his arm. That's the sort of gist of this episode and we are providing another entry in the Versus series at the same time. It's not necessarily here this entry to crown a champion out of one-armed swordsman and one-armed boxer, but to simply talk of two movies of similar content, theme, feel, shared link in general and the big shared link here is of course star Jimmy Wang Yu in, uh, in in one corner as his iconic one-armed character uh, and in the other corner as a, a sort of more um, cultish one-armed character I would say it's pretty deep isn't it it's like a deep kind of it's it's not like a physical fight it's more kind of like a, a metaphysical psychological kind of battle isn't it really like you're going against yourself really is that what you're going for I like well, it well, well it's a puffy story in Jay Lee's uh, concoction this and what he picked was uh, one of swordsmen him. from 1967 <laughs> made at Shaw Brothers for director Chang Che and then in 1972 Jimmy Wang Yu directs himself in One Armed Boxer uh, my name is Kenny B and with me as you heard for this edition of the Versus series uh, and also he's the co-host of the Beer Podcast Vloglogs and uh, we caught him on a sober day I think so <laughs> say hello Tom KW Hello, are you are you sure? Do you want me to submit urine? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll 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 wait and uh, real time tick tock tick tock tick tock tick tock. <laughs> yeah, yes. Hello, class. I am your substitute teacher for today. What is the log logs for the kids who do not know? Uh, when we say beer podcast, uh, does that mean you chat and review beer, or you chat while having beer? It's a mixture of both. It's a political party. It's a political movement, <laughs> really, I would say. Yeah, we, we try to do uh, a bit of that, yeah. A bit of reviewing. The logger party. Uh, yeah, mate. <laughs> yeah, vote for us uh, in the upcoming elections. Yeah, it's mostly uh, drinking heavily with uh, a little bit of uh, reviewing on the side. We try to kind of, you know, give you give you a good mix of, uh, of stuff there. But yeah, it, it is a podcast, as you mentioned. I think it is. It, it sounds like one to me. Uh, it sounds like one to Stu. So we're going to call it a podcast. Yeah, or, or like beer connoisseurs to the extent where you buy only the finest, mo- most expensive beer and you taste test that. Or you're going for like, well, that is 50p. 
I'm gonna get it. I've never heard of it. I think it was made in someone's basement. Let's try that. <laughs> you know us too well, Ken. Yeah, it's it's the absolute cheapest tat that we can find uh, in the local <laughs> local supermarket. But that's the stuff that we drink on a regular basis. So uh, we, we, we're keeping it we're keeping it real, uh, as the kids say. Does that mean there's like a plethora of choices in your local supermarket that? in the cheap aisle uh, so so it's like so much fun to like <laughs> it's never ending there's <laughs> brands 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 there was but uh seeing as we've just wrapped up on season one there no longer is so we'll be hopefully moving to greener pastures for uh season two and seeing what's out there if not we'll be uh as you kind of hinted to we'll be kind of making it in our bathtubs and uh, that'll be <laughs> uh supplying the brewskis for for season two it can be done, I suppose, but uh, I think it requires more than just a bathtub. Okay, I'm going to start work on it as soon as this podcast finishes. Don't worry, I'll let you know how I get on. I did, I, I did fail chemistry back in secondary school, so uh, it might be a bit difficult. But uh, she's, she's got kind of, he's got a good, good brain on him. I'm sure uh, he'll be able to uh, sort it out. But it isn't that this uh, free for all eight-hour Skype call extravaganza. <laughs> you guys still have a structure going into it despite it being centered around uh, beer. So uh, it, it's, it's like an hour of uh, good chat without you guys going off the rails and then falling off, falling asleep in the middle off of Off the it. rails. We've been off the rails quite a few times. We're pretty much all countryside at the moment. But yeah, we try to kind of keep it, keep it uh, slim and sharp. Like myself, but not like myself now after lockdown, but, you know, the, the time of, you know, six or seven months ago. Purposeful. Purposeful. I don't know about purposeful. Uh, informative. You know, all those kind of words that you've read about in the dictionary, but just don't really know the meaning of. We try to be all those. Hey, do, do either of you guys have a, a palate to the degree where you can, you, you, you can like, hmm, this is a bit more, uh, it tastes like this and this, or this tastes a little bit more like this and this, a bit more... Uh, you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't. When people say, uh, when they drink wine, for instance, mm, uh, uh, this, uh, the dominant feature of this is uh, this particular fruit or whatever. And I'm like, how do they, how do, they do that? <laughs> like, I, I have no <laughs> developed taste sense. But uh, how are you guys with that in terms of uh, the beer the beer, beer of it all? Or your senses are numb by this point? I think, yeah, yeah. All, all my senses are numb. Yeah, we, uh, I think we're getting better at it. I don't, I don't know. It's a for... Uh the listener to decide we just you know we kind of uh, have a have a go on a few beers and, and have a chat and kind of say you know how how we feel really about brewskis um, again is there I, an I don't... obligation even if you open it you taste it oh dear god is there an obligation to finish to it? drink it yeah in my case Hugh's case not so much he's more sensible than i am in, in my <laughs> case yeah it would be uh, it would be illegal not to uh, not to finish it off but uh, yeah i think i think um I think we, we, our, our palates, as you said, might be kind of, I don't know, getting a bit more kind of uh, tuned in to kind of uh, different different beer styles and stuff. Have you crowned a favourite after season one? Then? We did just have our favourite of the season countdown on the finale of, of the show. Uh, that's episode 10. Then don't spoil it then for the kids. And we'll, yeah, we'll try not to try not to kind of say any more about that. But yeah, uh, check it out if you do like beer or just do like hearing people make themselves sound foolish. Either one, you're, uh, you're in for a good time. Excellent. And uh, vlogdocs.com and uh, all... It's all on there. Yeah, all the regular podcast catchers out there, whether Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or... Yeah. 
whatever kids uh, go with uh, nowadays. It's on the yeah, pornhub.com uh, slash log logs. That's where everything is. Everything, uh, all the kind of, uh, all the good stuff lies. If you don't submit porn to Pornhub, do they reject your submission? I don't know. I don't know. Like, yeah, don't no, we're just talking about beer. It it's us on video, <laughs> but... Uh... <laughs> I don't know, buddy. I don't know. Why don't you uh, put up your, uh, your sex tape and uh, get back to us on that one? We did contemplate to put one thing on Pornhub, and I'll tell you what. Me and Joshua did an audio commentary on the hardcore porn hopping vampire horror movie Mindfuck. I guess. That was going to be my guess. And uh, be because obviously it does have such scenes, we were contemplating, well, we, we got to black it out or fuck it out for YouTube, and or we'll put it on Pornhub. They won't object, right? <laughs> In the end, Joshua worked hard to fog out and black out uh, most things. There's a full five-minute sex scene at the end of the movie that just has... We need to put a big black screen on that. Joshua put in amusing text commentary during it, just to sort of pass the time. <laughs> you know, we had the commentary going, and uh, us delivering information, of course. But uh, it was a little bit tough going to just see a... A black screen there so joshua put in some uh some highs and saying how are you doing like yeah yeah the sex is still going on so <laughs> you guys seen any movies lately shout out to josh is that the second or third time you're covering the film i've, I've lost track third time. <laughs> <laughs> regular podcast bonus episode re-review audio commentary okay okay i'm, I'm i say I'm, I'm losing track of it all try and catch up with it all yeah yeah it's a dead occasion tons you of see work. what i did there i said dead because obviously it's like a, about like, like ghosts and stuff. So that is out there, and Tom's jokes joke. are forever <laughs> eternal. Uh, let's uh, get uh, into it. But uh, first of all, some very brief contact information uh, for all your podcast on fire network needs, including the back catalog of the Versus series or any podcast on fire. Go to podcastonfire.com. We are also on Apple Podcasts and uh, Stitcher Radio and Spotify. And uh, rate and subscribe and all that good stuff uh, on social media. Just uh, click the various uh, buttons at the top of our website to get to our Facebook presence and uh, our Twitter feed and our Instagram, of course. And uh, uh, you you guys should have an Instagram because uh, it'll be sort of suitable to put up pictures of cans. I mean, beer. <laughs> we just we slide against cans. Uh, we have to get it, uh, you know, deleted uh, or taken down. Yeah, we. Uh, if you head to logalogs.com, it's all on there. There is a Twitter. There is a an Instagram, and as as you uh, mentioned before, all your kind of different um, streaming programs for your podcasts all there. And uh, I write about the variety of Hong Kong and Taiwanese movies on my website, SoGoodReviews.com, and my tweets are available at SoGoodReviews. That's a better reviews. website. Check that out. That's that's a bit, it's a bit better than all. I mean, there's, there's more cans on that website, so check that one out. I, I might tell the story someday on uh, on maybe the Christmas special or whatever, but uh, my, my website was uh, essentially sort of hijacked during, uh, this, uh, during the last uh, few months by my uh, provider, my host. And uh, that wasn't good. Financially, it wasn't good. And uh, frustration level was high. But uh, thankfully, it's a long story, Dave. I've prepaid my bills and I didn't want to. Let's just say that. Uh, up until 2024. So I've been forced to uh, cut credit cards and reset everything just to make sure they don't take any more money from me. Eventually, it resolved itself and I went to the host that hosts this podcast. Because they're reliable. They answer emails. <laughs> 
I don't know. Is this bad, Ken? <laughs> it, it's a longer story. It's all good right now. Let's uh, uh, get into it. Uh, first, a rundown. Uh, first, in the one on swordsman section, we'll do some basic notes uh, on the impact of the film, and then we'll review and discuss it. After the mid-show break, we'll do some minor notes uh, on where Jimmy's career was in the early 70s. Uh, but it's really um, a to-the-point, uh, straight-to-the-review kind of thing in the second half, where we'll discuss one-armed boxer. So it's going to be a good time with some context and fun along the way. And uh, listen to uh, 30 seconds or so of music from One on Swordsman, and then we'll be back to deliver the plot in the background notes. And welcome back, and the first review of this episode is One on Swordsman from 1967, and plot from the Far East Films review of the film. Fang Gang, played by Jimmy Wang Yu, is a quiet yet earnest pupil of a legendary swordsman, uh, of the legendary swordsman Chi Ru Feng's school, and he's played by Chen Feng from Fist of Fury and the tons of uh, Shaw Brothers movies. Uh, because of this humble and introverted nature, Feng finds himself mocked by his contemporaries and constantly bullied from day to day. After finally reaching breaking point, the young swordsman decides to leave the school, but is followed by a gang of his tormentors and confronted in a snowy wilderness. The ensuing showdown sees Feng easily defeat his opponents with his superior skills, but a shocking altercation sees his arm severed. Just managing to get away, the seriously injured man collapses and looks sure to die. Thankfully, he is saved by a kindly woman, Xiao Man, played by Lisa Chow, who gradually nurses him back to health and helps him to adjust to his disability. In time, Xiaoman offers Fang the gift of a special sword fighting manual, and after years of study he becomes a near-invincible one-armed swordsman. This prowess comes in useful when a villainous swordsman target targets Fang's old school with the intention of ruling the martial world. It is uh, Fang Gang, then, who must protect those who once hated him and save his master's life from the dreaded killer. I, I'm giving away my opinion here, but... Uh, this is one of the greatest Shaw Brothers classics and Hong Kong movies. It's important and also interesting contextually for the era in which it was made. It's a groundbreaking swordplay movie that, um, as Grady Hendrix noted, introduced a rougher tone and character gallery to the wuxia genre. Uh, leading up to 1967, the look and feel in, for instance, the Red Lotus trilogy that started with Temple of the Red Lotus, also starring Jimmy Wang Yu. It was more cleaner more majestic, uh, uh, but, but also sort of lacking in exploration of honor and humanity. It wasn't really what it was uh, after. And then enter Chang Chia's dramatic and blood-soaked take on uh, matters. And he had been making these movies for a while, but uh, this was the one. Yeah, I think this was like his fourth or fifth film, wasn't it? It was very early on in his, in his Dan, career. Done uh, so. The Magnificent Trio, The Trail of the Broken Blade, mm. Tiger Boy, that lost movie, black and white movie, uh, that uh, is uh, no longer available. It's never really yeah. been available. Yeah. And uh, those three, I think, uh, possibly a fourth I'm not thinking of uh, right now. So his uh, dramatic and blood-soaked take on matters uh, entered here, and it would solidify part of his versatile uh, legacy. One on Swordsman would have go on to have a successful cinema run. It's said to be the first Hong Kong movie to earn a 
million Hong Kong dollars at the local box office. And uh, it was a star-making turn by Jimmy Wang Yu. Who, um, and uh, the big cinematic shift towards the male hero was also a factor here in uh, this movie. And uh, as uh, David West talks of on the UK uh, Blu-ray in the interview, we would see a demonstration here of what he calls staunch masculinity. But there, there is a romantic subplot here, um, and uh, an effective one at that. But uh, Wang Yu's character is also on his sort of dutiful path of being loyal to his master, the Qian Feng character. This angle of masculinity and loyalty and male brotherhood would be a bit more on, on front street in subsequent movies uh, throughout the decades by uh, Chang Che, which generally led to Chang Che, I guess, having to defend himself uh, from statements that his heroes were gay, that he was gay. Yeah. I've watched a fair few of his movies lately, sort of in chronological order, and um, there's often always a fairly strong uh, female presence and counterpoint. Uh, he, he was really a romantic director. I'm not yet into this mid-late 70s stuff, uh, and he certainly did explore male brotherhood, but um, the, the more I watch of his movies and the older I get, I just think uh, those uh, statements are way too simplistic. Definitely, no, definitely. Man. I mean, there's a lot of greasy abs in 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 his in his films. You know what I mean? But uh, as you said, there the kind of is kind of a romantic subplot tied in. But you know what? What's what's gay about wanting to see oiled up Chinese men just going head to head? There's nothing gay about it. Head to head, Jesus. Tom, well, I suppose it's Tom. the same. It's, it's the same thing that was obviously dumped on. You know, one of his, I would say his contemporary, but what's the word that you'd say? It comes after contemporary. One of his, obviously with John Woo, obviously he got the kind of same stick, saying kind of his his heroes were kind of gay and he did the same thing. But I think it was, obviously Chang Che was a big influence on him. It was more the kind of angle of focusing on the kind of heroic uh, and kind of dutiful. I mean, they usually leave women behind, but not to yeah. pursue their own relationship. It's uh, they're, they're dutiful to something else, even though they don't like it. It's not really present in uh, this movie, to be honest, or for a few years, uh, really. He had strong romantic subplot in his movies, and uh, not just damsels in distress or whatever. So um, it's been interesting to to explore the movies in um, in chronological order for a bit. Uh, the heroic and dutiful side of the kind of, uh, you know, the male and, and the kind of the male relationships that kind of, you know, came came with that, I suppose. But yeah, as you say, it was more, you know, later. I mean, for a while, I, I, I have no uh, confirmation of this, but one of his later movies uh, called Slaughter in Xi'an was uh, a modern day action movie. And that features stuff that almost looks like Chang Chia is trolling all of us after people have like having had theories for a number of years. Uh, there's one scene in that movie where 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 the friends uh, roll around um, uh, in slow motion on the floor hugging because they're friends. <laughs> and, gonna... and I've never seen that in his movies otherwise. You know what I mean? So it's yeah, almost yeah. like, okay, you think I'm you you think I'm I'm making uh, I'm, I'm, I'm having gay subjects in my movies? Okay, hold my beer. Let, let me shoot something. <laughs> and in another scene, uh, someone is uh, penetrated uh, with a huge uh, wooden log through his rectum. And it's a gory ass scene in Slaughter and Shan. And, uh, and that's also like, okay, I'm, I'm going to make something just to troll people and see what they think. 
And uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, um, I'm, I'm thinking he was aware. Yeah, kind of took what people had, had said and they kind of, uh, you know, flipped it, flipped it on them. Um, his male heroes in these 60s and 70s movies were, would also die sort of the gory, honorable deaths, often mortally wounded, but then they tied a cloth uh, across their insides and fought to the dying slash, often ending up standing up. Uh, after all was said and done, you know what I mean. They never yeah. fell, so I always thought that was um, a cool, um, a cool image in in um, in certain of his movies. And David West points out that could be a part peaking opera trope, a part dramatic yeah, device yeah. at the same time, uh, mm. because it is very dramatic when you you're still standing despite being dead. And Jimmy Wang Yu does that in one or two of uh, these movies for Chang Chia, showing he is the superior swordsman because he might be dead but he's still standing. So yeah, definitely. Um, all of this was, of course, cinematically viable uh, at the time, and uh, so no wonder it was uh, commercial. And uh, even though Wang Yu parted ways with Chang Chen and the Shaw Brothers, uh, you would um, see, uh, you know, uh, Jimmy Wang Yu would obviously be in sword play uh, movies and touch upon these tropes as well, uh, whether in Hong Kong or Taiwanese movies. So uh, Jimmy would extend this. Uh, character in the movies but it would also change tack completely and be a bit crazier as well uh, as we might um, uh, talk about uh, although it is a scripted original story by Chang Chie and Ni Kuang uh, the stuff with the hero getting his arm chopped off in a fit of rage by uh, by his kung fu sister is said to be possibly adapted from a Jin Yong novel possibly one of the Condor heroes books so they, they, they grab a little piece from it uh, if you will uh, but in the end, young audiences responded to Wang Yu's plight, uh, his uh, questions, his suffering, his morals. Uh, but uh, clearly, uh, the cinematic image of the one-on swordsman, the one-on hero, would uh, you know was impactful and would be pursued again for uh, for dramatic purposes, perhaps, but also for pure gory fun, like in the sequel uh, that uh, also stars uh, Jimmy Wang Yu. And directed by Chang Chia, Return of the One on Swordsman. Yeah. Mightily gory, fun movie. Yes, it, it escalates the relationships um, and evolves him, but it's not as much of a somber, somber picture. It's there to um, crank uh, weapons action and, uh, and Shaw Brothers gore. And uh, it's a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of fun. It's a bit faster paced, but I think it's, it's probably as good uh, as the first one. They both kind of work well as a kind of a, um, a, a double header, uh, for sure. Uh, I would say so, for sure. Uh, David Chang was the new one swordsman in the 1970s for Chang Chia. Never Chan seen Chia. that one. No, i never seen that one. Very good fun. Very good fun as yeah, well. Yeah, do like Dave. And uh, Wang Yu had left Shaw Brothers by that point to craft um, his own path uh, as a director, and uh, but he also crafted another one-armed character, the one-armed boxer character and uh, but but he came back to the one on swordsman he crossed over into the japanese film series series satoichi about the blind swordsman yeah. played by shintaro katsu and uh, i have the box set but i haven't gotten to that it's uh, one of the later ones i mean that there's 25 in total i think that yeah, is around the 1920th 21st movie right yeah. so um, i've seen about eight or nine at this point um, uh, in that uh, set but uh, jimmy wang yu versus the uh, blind swordsman it's awesome yeah uh, a few other notes I found interesting uh, watching the Blu-ray. Uh, David, ne- David West notes that there's uh, more elegant, dance-like, peaking opera-style action and movement in One on Swordsman rather than martial arts, suggesting more of the design would come from Chang Chia himself and maybe co-action director Tong Kai rather than Lao Galung, who uh, had more of a Hung, Hung Kun martial arts background, but they, they, they're, they're obviously providing action, all of, uh, all of them, especially those two. 
And Chang Che also claims, true or not, that the film was the first Hong Kong movie to employ handheld camera work as it was trying to create something more dynamic and less static. I mean, there, there is handheld camera work. It's not terribly refined, but there, it, it is here. It, it isn't static. So It would make sense if it was the first film to employ it. But yeah, I can't really try to think of stuff kind of pre- that predates this. And I can't think of a lot of stuff that, that uses it as much as this film does. And even this film uses it a little bit, but... I can't think of one that uses it a lot in a, in a film earlier than this. And he uh, kept on doing it for a little bit, but not all throughout his movies, uh, for select sequences. Uh, Choi Hak adapted the basic premise when making his Dark and Dirty The Blade in 1995. Mm. Uh, Jimmy Wang Yu would also transfer the concept of uh, the one-armed hero when going independent, and in the process created some wonderfully weird and entertaining vehicles, such as one-armed boxer. We should cover that on the show. We should cover that someday. <laughs> uh, the legendary arm break in that one is uh, is quite uh, ludicrous and legendary. Uh, <laughs> you know, it was more of a harrowing scene in the 1967 movie in One Arm Boxer. It's uh, pretty funny. Uh, and The Master of the Flying Guillotine, of course, which was the sequel to One Arm Boxer, because it, it is uh, originally titled One Arm Boxer versus the Flying Guillotine. But Master of the Flying Guillotine is, um, is a way more dynamic uh, title and a very popular movie for good reason. I wanted to. I wanted to ask you. Did you have you seen that film that's supposed to be like a modern day remake of it? It takes a lot of influence from it. Called What Price? What Price Survival? Yes, by yes, Daniel Lee. Yeah, is it any good? Does it take a lot from it? Is it like a yeah, straight? I, I don't remember it taking a lot from it. To be honest, it is. Um, it, it has a 1920s and 30s setting, and therefore design according to that. But to be honest, I've watched it a few times. I don't remember plot beats being very similar and mm. the one-armed thing i think entered very late in the process okay. almost like a, okay yeah, i was always curious i've never seen it but i know obviously david chang's in it isn't he so i was yes, always yes. thinking you know is it does it kind of uh does it take beats from it or is it kind of a, a straight up remake but interesting like the blade uh it's it really isn't um framing itself similarly uh, the blade is uh, closer to one-armed swordsman yeah. really but it's yeah. such a differently made movies speaking of handheld camera work is made in that way by design but it's a darker and dirtier and stranger film uh, the martial world isn't this uh, elegant place in the blade which makes it awesome really i, I love the blade but uh, but yeah I, I i do recommend what what price survival um it's it's um, hampered a little bit by daniel lee's uh, insistence on, on uh, choppy camera work but it's still fairly uh, fetching uh, to be honest I, I return to it every now and again Let's do some short opinions, and uh, as for mine, uh, I think it's thematically that one on Swordsman holds its greatest strength for me, uh, because I, I get invested in the character unjustly paying this, this huge price for being the outsider. And uh, even after humiliation and uh, after adapting himself to a crippled state, he remains an honorable hero. There's no hatred in him necessarily. And that, I think, becomes quite inspirational, even if it's simple. As a martial artist, uh, Jimmy wasn't classically trained, but uh, he is the performer with the most power and impact here. Uh, he's uh, good at brawling, was going to be good at brawling, and huge developments would occur n- not only for him, but uh, in the on-screen action, uh, as Lao Galong and Tong Kai would um, develop this side to Hong Kong cinema, so it isn't super refined here in 1967, but uh, it, it was taking a leap forward, uh, the genre. It has like this consistent weight and grit and uh, bloody violence that I, I anyway I, I, I feel uh, because I'm engaged in the drama the narrative is largely captivating ever so slightly tedious in the subplotting of the the clan ri- rivalry but uh, it, it really doesn't uh, 
make the movie crash or anything. Um, also, it's a bit theatrical and melodramatic, of course, but that, that's to come to be expected from the genre. And uh, in, uh, here in 2020, it might not be uh, as affecting for new viewers, but I really think yeah, this is... Uh, you can watch Conjuring with me to see the Wuxia movie take a step forward in elegance, but you can watch one on Swordsman to see the Wuxia movie take a step forward in dramatic impact and uh, and uh, yeah so I, I i think it's a classic and i really like it and the, the flaws are uh, quite minor to be honest uh, so yeah agree yeah it kind of takes it's almost like sitting in the middle isn't it it's kind of a transitional film it takes a kind of as you said the more like poetic and poetic side and elegant side of wuxia uh, but also adding its own kind of ingredients um and those ingredients would obviously have a huge influence on the wuxia films that came after it which were a bit more tougher and a bit more had a bit more of a, a mean streak in them thanks to kind of chang chai yeah king who wasn't didn't have that mean streak in him uh, his uh his tension wasn't about escalating into gory violence for instance if we just uh point towards uh that but no they're more like they're more like plays uh, i find you know not to kind of take away from him as a filmmaker but i find them more kind of like like, like plays um then kind of you know, more uh, incorporating a lot more of the kind of cinematic tropes that would that would come later in the genre. That's not unfair because uh, they they really kept it to select settings sometimes. Um, King Who's movies, especially The Fate of Lee Khan, it takes place largely in, in an inn. You know, and uh, it's it, it's great, but uh, it's a uh, it's reserved in that regard. Thankfully, we're in a part of uh, wuxia movies that that didn't have packed narratives with tons of twists and turns so it's uh, easy to get into it and i i think he makes a statement initially also because the uh, the action is is messy there's a sort of a fatal brawling style that's not about elegance as the ku feng in the flashback uh, defends his teacher and the weapons also tom they're heavy which makes the violence and, and gore actually work better even if the lightning speed exchanges are not here but because the weapons are heavy i i, I think uh, there, there's a clever sort of choice there in the action design to make it impactful by uh f- feeling that these uh, things can hurt you in, in a way you know definitely yeah there's like a there's a real danger to the action and obviously i think having what happens to to you know jimmy wang's you jimmy wang use character early on obviously kind of gives it uh, a sense of danger that obviously anything can happen going forward which i think really works for the film uh fang fang kang um what happens to him in the first part of the film obviously going forward yeah it kind of really makes you think that anything could happen he had grown into his looks a bit in, in those first few movies between 1965 and now he uh, he looked mightily young and i mean they, they put a little beard on him but yes he had grown into his looks a little bit he's not as awkwardly young as he was in the likes of temple of the red lotus yeah. he he's in a spy movie called asia paul which he looks way too young for they mm, saying that now. and also yeah i mean he rejects the female at the beginning of the movie so what like there's nothing to be read into here that i, I like i prefer men i'm gonna re- reject women because he have, i think he rejects uh, her commanding and obtrusive, spoiled side. Like, yes, he uh, respects his master, but he doesn't respect uh, this pettiness, this entitlement, and therefore he he does put on an attitude, uh, the Feng Kang character, when uh, needed, but he never loses the sight of respecting his master. And uh, but, but, but he also, I don't know if you remember this beat uh, 
in the film, he 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 does sort of have an eye towards uh, that sympathy, I suppose, towards her that uh, she's a woman in all of this, and mm. uh, there 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 is uh, there is a difficulty for her, especially now that he's the sort of new bright shining kid favorite pupil of uh, of the master. So there there is a frustration here, and there are some little beats where Feng Kang, you know, he's never cocky. Is my point uh, he's uh, he's able to view things from. Uh, different uh, perspectives and uh, I find out to be in t- decent intelligence even though they don't spend 30 minutes on it uh, uh, as such because uh, we, we get into the arm chop fairly quickly yeah definitely and obviously her um, her character is a lot different to Lisa Chow's character obviously they're kind of very different female characters and I think with with her character um, you were saying um, what's her name again sorry uh, well, well, I, I, uh, the, the actress is Violet uh, Pan. Violet yeah, Chi Payer. Chi Payer, yeah, she's obviously a yeah, character, as you said, who's kind of more kind of spoiled and he didn't really have a lot of sympathy for her. But, uh, you know, if anything, she makes her a good plot device because obviously he comes back at the end to kind of rescue her and that kind of starts a, a chain reaction of, of things. So, yeah, there's, there's two good kind of women characters, but they're just they're very different in the film. It uh, certainly is um, something Chang Chia devotes himself to story beats, I think, and uh, and theme and character. But also, obviously, it's a Shaw Brothers production. It's going to look yeah. uh, elegant. And uh, I, I don't know how you feel if you ever were taken out of Shaw Brothers movies that were not particularly... They didn't care too much if uh, something looked like it was indoors because we can be fetching when doing like a snow set indoors like that indoor feel that stage feel i always felt was something Shaw argued for well we see it's fake but we enjoy the theatrical the stage work the staged work almost yeah i agree it's it's almost got its its own charm to it hasn't it, it doesn't really take you out of the film because i think it's it's very well established that that's kind of how the the short brother films looked and felt i mean you know beautiful sets and an atmosphere and lighting it's got all the technical stuff that Sure, brothers are known for it's uh, it, it's in abundance here. Do do you think um, the the famous arm chop? I mean, is it uh, is it striking that balance between uh, dramatically sound but also as an effect? Do you buy it? Do you get into it as we see that unexpected chop? Because we, we we're not talking lone wolf and cub gory here, uh, but it's it's more uh, it's a little bit more clean than that. But 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 do you think the movie pulls that off because that moment needs to work? Um, it needs to come out of nowhere. It does. It does. Yeah, it does. It's it's quite realistic and and quite dramatic and quite tense. And and as I, as I said earlier, I think it it does a lot for the plot going forward and and the confrontations going forward. It gives a little bit a little bit of danger in the air uh, from it. But yeah, it works well. Again, it's it's not really a kind of an action scene at that point. It's more of a dramatic device, isn't it? it it's done out of um, out of rage out of childishness yeah. out of defiance out of selfishness even though he has sat down with her and tried to reason with her uh, she's still you know out, out of those she those emotions uh, trigger that um, trigger that or what, what is really an iconic uh, moment Definitely. i think yeah, because, yeah. because it's the snow as well and the, the the stump that they create is a little bit fleshy uh, not the stump but but, but the arm you, you can see some blood on the arm but they don't do it like a psh- spurt or anything yeah it's not very uh like artistic or kind of you know beautiful it's more kind of like to the point kind of very very kind of blunt um but i think a lot of the actions like that it's kind of a it's a fine line between those two kind of areas 
um, and most of the action kind of going forward is, is a kind of bit more kind of blunt and a bit more kind of rough and tumble. And that was the influence that this film had on a lot of the ones that came after it. It's a strong opening stretch, I think, because we, we have we, we, we get some focus on the dynamics of that uh, house that um, that uh, with the pupils and the master. Also, we, 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 we tend to view things from different perspectives. That's, it's not about uh, establishing who's good and who's evil in that household. Because the, the fact that uh, the daughter, Pei, she tells her father what happens, uh, what happened. You know, uh, she doesn't uh, and can't hide that, uh, how she failed. And I think that that's a strong switch because I, I like the fact that we aren't left with the impression that she was a brat all throughout the movie, that um, she realized that she, she effed up and uh, that, that wasn't fair. Yeah, she definitely gets, she's like a, she gets redeemed kind of a little bit towards the end. And, and it really, for a Wuxia movie, a sword play movie, it doesn't have, in these camps, uh, we, we, uh, the bad guys camps, yes, but not in these camps. We don't have these <laughs> villains or anything. It feels decently human. Which I always appreciate it mm. as well. It doesn't need to be about the flying of the powers that come out of your hands or anything. And it's why this movie, I think, resonated and still resonates for me. Because uh, you, you tend to view Wang Yu's character as uh, someone who's uh, come from the outside, uh, lo- lost his parents, and uh, uh, has to um, resume bloody battles despite... Uh, the disadvantage and uh, yeah. all of that and that could lead to melodrama that could uh, go off the charts do, do you think it's affecting because Wang Yu obviously he needs to deal in, in an emotional range when he wakes up and realizes he has no arm and uh, his anger and his uh, sadness because he's now worthless and all of that uh, so how do you think that works because it's big I think as you said it doesn't really dive into melodrama it keeps it quite real and I think the film focuses it focuses on a lot of him kind of putting his life back together uh, and getting back out there uh with uh, lisa chow's character xiao man who's just kind of very you know sympathetic character who uh you know rescues him um and kind um, of looks after not him not part of any martial world no kind of a, a, opposed to it you know and I, yeah. I think that's kind of an interesting dynamic and he's kind of stuck between you know her or, or kind of in the middle of his life with her and the kind of life that he could have with her and the you know the loyalty the kind of that he has to his kind of master and, and i think that's a really interesting dynamic but um yeah it, it is affecting and a lot a big part of the film is kind of focused on that really and i think it, it works really well i really like in that scene in particular when he wakes up and realizes that his arm is gone he gets angry but chang chair makes sure we see his temperature go down as he sees things from yeah. Lisa Chow's perspective because he's scaring her and that he realizes that he's been taken care of and uh, he, he should calm himself down because she doesn't deserve this outburst or anything. Good little touches. I, th- I think are very, yeah. very mature and uh, in the so prior cool. movies of Chang Chia's, this wasn't that sharp, but it's mm. becoming really sharp in here. And I also like the, uh, the indoor production design of this isolated counterside home um it really is a nice counterbalance to the martial world i suppose it gives uh it gives the characters time to consider whether they should belong in the martial world or um, if it brought you pain then why, why should you belong to it or should you remain dutiful and that isolated uh, setting and sight and uh, dramatic beats within it i think works really well because i, I think they're also very well 
paired up as uh, as characters, uh, uh, Lisa Chow and Jimmy Wang Yu, and uh, they they did uh, the Assassin from the same year and were really good in that yeah. as well, and and then came back for the sequel, both of them as well for to to this movie. Yeah, yeah, she's great, and you know, as I was hinting before, kind of she's she's the complete opposite of uh, you know Violet Pan's character, and they're both really work well as two kind of opposing ends of the spectrum and and they kind of work well and that they're, they're kind of fleshed out characters and they're both kind of very different and i think it works well that they're kind of on the opposite opposite sides of the spectrum but yeah you know i think lee sounds almost like the the audience isn't she she's kind of questioning kind of the martial world and and why kind of fan kang has to kind of go back to it it's kind of it's interesting. She kind of asks all the kind of interesting questions that the audience is almost asking um, about the kind of proceedings and, and why he has to do it. And I think it gives it a lot more. You know, give a lot more gravitas to you know the things that kind of play out afterwards with him and you know his master and the kind of uh, opposing schools. It's nice to see a stretch of new life in this kind of movie be, being an option. Yeah, uh, it really does. I mean, seeing as they did another movie, obviously there, there, there was action in that movie too. So the martial world is never ever going away, and you you need to just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. That kind of thing. You've been uh, working on that impression. It's gonna happen. It's gonna happen. I even did that quote in my review for the second movie, just because it's really nice because you you can discuss this, and you don't need to discuss violence and action because for a while there isn't that much focus on it, and there there shouldn't. Uh, be uh and uh, there's no particular worry in a fairly long film that there's a good stretch when there's no calculated sort of uh let's have a fight here let's have a fight here kind of structure mm. or anything i mean it it switches back in it as we see uh our action directors on screen uh lao galong and tonkai yeah, yeah, they're, 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 they're presenting like the countermeasure to the she sword play style that they uh they, they bring to the the villain that that's called smiling devil they bring this um, countermeasure, with, which is this sword lock. I don't know. I, I, I always find it kind of cool. At this time, they didn't do huge, like, 20-minute end fights because they weren't there. You saw a lot of brief sword slashes and then a lot of stabbings in Chang Chia's movies. But, but, but they bring it to a sort of logical uh, conclusion here. Well, we're at the point where we're at in terms of action, and we know how much we can stage, which isn't very long. So how do we keep it brief? Well... The sword lock with the end fight as well, or the kind of the um, or the confrontations towards the back end. They're kind of very still dialogue based, aren't they? They kind of stop every now and again. It's not this kind of constant, like non-stop twenty-minute action extravaganza. It's more kind of uh, it stops and it's a bit more kind of thoughtful and stops for kind of interaction between the characters and dialogue. You know, in between the kind of in between the action, which uh, which I find quite interesting. Yeah, it does feel primitive. It feels uh, very logical what they're yeah. presenting here it's not like it's aching to burst through the screen but they can't yet but they really balance elements uh, definitely in, yeah. including no like extensive 20 minutes some hung end fight or even in lao galong's mo- own movies uh, as the 70s went along those fights will get longer and longer and longer because the cinema was evolving and he was so uh, this is where they're at and it's a clever piece of um, a weapons design that uh, remains effective throughout uh, the movie. So, I mean, the second movie went all out with the weapons design and made them, yeah. you know, crazy and uh, sharpie. <laughs> if you will. yeah, yeah, <laughs> sharpie, yeah, a little bit, yeah. 
just make up a word. I like it either way. I agree. I agree. Though it gives it a, a unique, you know, unique angle. The kind of weapon design. It's uh, it's really interesting, and I, I think it kind of um, yeah, adds a kind of interesting dynamic to the film. Uh, as I said, the clan feuds and planning to kill the she clan of uh, Jimmy Wang Yu's master's uh, clan. It's more tropey than captivating versus the drama because the drama yeah. is stronger but it does its job and uh, the gleeful violence and the murder of the smiling devil clan or whatever it, it's okay it's felt we know who's evil that's for sure yeah. um even when you know disciples uh the nameless disciple bites the dust and all of that uh it, it, it's okay it's, it's, it's decent violence uh, but but it's uh it's more recognizable rather than groundbreaking in this one uh, I think the film is overlong, you know, arguably. It's like a it's a slow burn for the first hour or so, which is fine because it's setting up the characters and uh, and it gives the drama some breathing room. But I think the second hour where things should be speeding up and then um, I think there should be more of a focus on the action. There's a bit of a subplot with the kind of different clans which wedges in and, uh, you know, which wedges in a bunch of new characters near, you know, near the back end. And I feel like obviously we do get to the conclusion eventually, but I feel like you probably could cut that out of the film and not make a lot of difference to the kind of emotional impact of the finale but i do little bits that like little bits that pop pops up here at one point violent pan's character is uh, kidnapped and jimmy when you feels uh, obligated to um free her and uh, i mean it's simple writing but it, it really comes through he, she, he says at one point at one point one point i'm affected by the log logs here <gasps> we drink on our show not this one come on man is this water? Well, I don't know. Um, he says, uh, going into that dangerous situation, she is my Sifu's only child. It doesn't matter if she mistreated me. But 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 he doesn't spend 30 minutes on this because it's a fairly quick uh, free her from her kidnappers thing and uh, some weapons action. And uh, so, so he doesn't reject uh, women or anything. He rejects ill character traits because uh, he's there to free her. He's not there to uh, uh, make up with her. I'm also glad when it comes back to Lisa Chow's character that there's no free, real misunderstanding of those matters between Jimmy Wang Yu and Lisa Chow. He explains exactly what his reasons was, and she understands, and they remain solid. Yeah, very realistic, isn't it? Very, as I say, completely averting from the you know melodrama that I could get kind of stuck in. It's just kind of very real, very real character interactions, and and, and I do like that there is you know redemption for um Violent Pan's character towards the back end. Yeah, very much so. There 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 is a script, scripted focus on on matters here. Um, even though yeah, yes, it is long. I I do think the the, the sword lock technique remains uh, it remains cool uh, as these short battles happen. You know, the deliberately sparse weapons fight. You know, yeah. lock, slice, stab. And then move on essentially. So, uh, uh, and, and there by being 1967, you won't see 1977 pace and complexity to exchanges. But all, all of this serves story and adding gore on top of it uh, and often painful violence, it, it really does the trick. Even even though it's no mu- there's no music accompanying this, sometimes it, uh, it, it gets quite uh, decently eerie the more blood soaked it gets, but it also comes to a clash towards the end you know the story needs to be tied up and Chang Chia I don't think forgets the morals and ethics of in particular Jimmy Wang Yu's uh, character which is uh, you know we won't spoil it but it doesn't go in line with uh, what you should do in the martial world if you're a supreme swordsman and I like that though no me too and I, I think you know Chang Chia doesn't forget I think he's he's very focused on that aspect of the film and I think that's kind of always the uh the underlining kind of theme that he's going for uh, and i think that 
the dialogue towards you know the back end it, it's or the dialogue that's kind of interspersed between the the fight scenes it is all all about kind of the characters and the character interactions and, and kind of um you know the more coming to you know logical kind of conclusions i think that's what the film's more about it's definitely very more character based than than say kind of the films that you know came after it do, do you think he feels adept at that and not awkward as a dramatic story no, I de- definitely for for you know your fourth or fifth film i think he, he's had a, he's had a kind of a good practice at it and it feels like now it's kind of really coming into fruition as a filmmaker yeah it's uh, it's iconic and in particular you know like you mentioned before i think it's top tier Shaw brothers from an artistic standpoint i think it has a few issues but ken you know who who hasn't Am I right? Am I right? Right? I'm right, right, guys. Right, guys. guys. Stays, is this on. Thing on? Stays on. <laughs> I don't think it is. Um, but but yeah, it has. It isn't uh, terribly dated, which is the assuring thing. Uh, if you go back to a movie like The Magnificent Trio and even the trail of The Broken Blade, they're not bad. They're even good, but uh, they're not quite there yet. There, there is a uh, we're we're new at this type of feeling, and uh, we got good instincts. We're not quite there yet. We're working towards it, and uh, sure, uh, especially in terms of action and and even dramatic uh, dramatic storytelling. And also, the actors are so young. It, it seemed to um, in a few years they, they they started to grow a little bit into themselves. I mean, even Law Leet in those early nineteen sixty five movies looks it's a little baby, little baby. And by sixty seven, sixty eight, when you see him in Golden Swallow, for instance, which is the uh, Come Drink with Me sequel but yeah. jimmy wang he was in it as well as cheng pei pei law lead for instance he, he looks better like, like a rugged hero it, it looks a little bit better rather than uh, like a baby oh, oh definitely and when when you come to kind of like you know five fingers of death and stuff he's like really established as a kind of a you know tough guy leading man i think it just takes a few years to kind of grow into your looks and um you know, find your find your niche as an actor, I suppose. Yeah, I don't really have any other notes uh, other than one of the things that lingers, I suppose, uh, I, I won't do it verbatim, but it's the final speech from Jimmy Wang Yu to, uh, to his master, where he essentially is saying, thank you, but I do need to leave. Really good, yeah. It, it's that sort of almost criminal simplicity. It sounds easy to write, but you need to put it into proper context and do your work to earn that moment. And I think uh, yeah. he really does, I think, because... Uh, it's not a popular choice. He does necessarily. It comes off as not being thankful, but yeah, he, he does his best at communicating that I, I am thankful, but isn't, uh, this is not for me. Yeah, I think in the in the kind of audiences audiences view of the film, it could seem kind of strange and kind of bizarre a bizarre choice. But I think the film kind of does a very good job at explaining why kind of he needs to do this and why he is like this and and you know explaining the kind of mythology behind the the heroism of kind of uh his choices that um yeah you never for a, never for a second kind of second guess it you just kind of uh it just fits fits perfectly um but yeah he came back for for the sequel and um, yeah and, and a good one at that to say he, definitely he, yeah, if you thought this was heavier then the sequel is uh just um a bunch of fun really um extensive yeah, a- uh bloodshed on a budget but they still mm. try and crank it as best they can and they do a smashing job at it i think it's a it's a ton of fun um it was made um what was it two years later i believe yeah it loses a bit of the kind of dramatic as this one has but it's more in line with kind of the early 70s short film it's a lot more kind of it's faster and kind of bloodier and um a lot of good had happened technically but by that time you, you can see that you're getting much more comfortable uh, depicting uh, depicting blood and things like that uh, and not um, 
and escaping uh, the primitive nature a yeah. little bit, even though it was pretty damn good here, despite. Uh, so, so yeah, it's a, it's a nice trajectory to follow. By 1967, I think they're into their groove pretty well. The assassin is good, in and, and and those 1966, well, well, trailer to Broken Blade was 67 as well, but it feels like it was it was made at least a year earlier in terms of the staging and things like that. Uh, but um, it's interesting to follow Wuxia through Temple of the Red Lotus, Come Drink With Me, and then this. Uh, you, you you can see what each brought to the table. Yeah, progression is very uh, interesting and, and apparent. Uh, so that's the end of my notes. It's a recommended classic. and That's yep. all I've got to say for now. So anything else you want to say? Uh, Mars Attacks. It's not my favorite tim burton film but mars is the the kid who gets his mask stolen from old wangers at the marketplace just thought i'd let people know it was it was something that you know i like to see and and yeah he's here he's in golden swallow as well and kills himself uh, <laughs> he's still a child in that movie and the child commits suicide so he gets that's all the, the he got all the best movie. roles at that point <laughs> yeah so uh you can see little moss uh that that face is uh unforgettable he's in uh come drink with me is uh, one of the singing children as uh Yuhua performs a song uh, in the beginning stages of Come Drink With Me. You see a couple of children following him. So, yeah. I think that's it for me. Yeah, Ken. Yeah, that's that's it. Are you going to get into the availability? I will. I knew it. It's available. Hurrah. Um, <laughs> the Celestial Restoration went through the DVD phase in Hong Kong, and they have also issued it on a Region A Blu-ray that is still available. Digital options are also available, such as on US iTunes. And if you buy it there, and uh, you can get it in Mandarin, of course, but there's also an English dub in the same purchase. If you watch it on Prime Video, uh, that stream is in English only, by the way. And I wouldn't recommend watching this in English, by the way. It feels more classier in original language. I uh, agree, agree, yeah. Uh, you can buy it digitally on Amazon too, but I'm not sure it will include Mandarin with the purchase. So I would re- recommend if you want to go digital, buy it on iTunes. Uh, uh, because in, in the UK, you get dual language. In the US, you get dual language. Um, so if you're interested in that, then that's um, uh, a nice uh, bonus. In the UK, also 88 films have issued the film on Blu-ray, and that is also available. And uh, that has obviously a Mandarin, an English dub, uh, has an audio commentary by Bay Logan and an interview with David West included in the package. I watched the uh, the Hong Kong Blue for for the record, which which gets a bad rep for being uh, an upscale DVD print, but I'm I'm perfectly fine with that. It looks fine. Hot take. <laughs> Sizzling. <laughs> uh, so that's it for now. But we're not done with uh, the uh, one armed uh, one armed of it all, uh, as uh, represented by Jimmy Wang. He's fun. he's gonna. Continue to um, evolve that cinematic image, but he's now going to turn into a one-armed boxer, and that he did in 1972. And we're going to play some music from it, and we'll be back to review that film that was also directed by Wang Yu himself. So sit tight, and we'll be right back. Welcome back, and the second one-armed review of this uh, versus episode is the one-armed boxer from 1972 from Jimmy Wang Yu and starring with Jimmy Wang Yu and plot from Letterboxd. 
Uh, Chen Lung, played by Wang Yu, the best fighter at the Ching Te Martial Arts School, gets into a fight with the Hook Gang, part of a local opium dealing and prostitution ring run by a man named uh, Chow, and he easily defeats them. And then the movie's over. No, it isn't. Uh, the beaten Hook Gang members return to Chow, who is so infuriated that he goes to the Ching Te Dojo and challenges uh, Chen's uh, master, Hang Tui, to a fight the elders. Or, or engaging in a fight here as uh, the schools uh, have a rival thing going on. Well, the elder of uh, of uh, Wang Yu's character uh, defeats uh, Chao, leaving him even more humiliated, but that's not the end of the movie either. Chao plans his revenge by hiring a group of mercenary martial artists from uh, Shanghai, uh, two karate experts and a teacher, a judo master, a taekwondo expert, two Thai boxing fighters, a yoga expert, and two <laughs> mystic Tibetan lamas. He really Jing wants revenge. <laughs> so I think that's enough mercenaries. And with this group, Chao easily destroys the Qingte school and all of their businesses, leaving everyone dead except for Wang Yu's Chen Lung, who loses his right arm in that uh, big uh, big fight. Chen Lung mm. vows uh, revenge and begins his training to destroy anyone and everyone who stands in his way. Uh, although Jimmy Wang Yu had been the face of this new sword play movie uh, movement, if you will, in the form of the Red Lotus trilogy, one on Swordsman, and brought the Kung Fu movie firmly to Shaw Brothers with the Chinese boxer. He had left at that point to head productions in Taiwan as an actor and director, including uh, before this one, uh, he directed the movie The Brave and the Evil. Uh, but um, at this point, he was either brought back to Golden Harvest or Golden Harvest involved themselves, uh, because it is a Golden Harvest uh, production, but not with their players. You know what I mean? You don't have a, an Angela Mao here, you don't have a Sammo Hung here. So I think they... Kind of uh, feels like they, dis- they distributed it, but they didn't really have any involvement in the kind of production itself. P- pretty much so, and they, they believed in when you have, could, could deal with uh, this and have the players he was uh, involved with at that yeah. time uh, occupy the frame and that would be um, uh, sufficient and all of that. So, uh, and again, he wasn't scaling down his uh, involvement uh, because he is the director, writer and the star of this one, uh, featuring a new story of uh, arm, arm loss, if you will. So, uh, uh, but more in, on the fun side of things. This is not a dramatic movie. Uh, the sequel, The One-Armed Boxer vs. The Flying Guillotine, a.k.a. Master of the Flying Guillotine, followed in 1976, so it took a while. And uh, One-Armed Boxer uh, came to the U.S. in 1973 as the Chinese Professionals. So uh, Class. One, of those, uh, one of those type of grindhouse titles, but uh, nevertheless, um, it, uh, that, that happens, and it's uh, kind of joyous to see these uh, Perfect. unrelated... Yeah. Uh, uh, retitles. I, I, I suppose that, that group of fighters uh, is what they're referring to, the Chinese professionals. So I think that was the main kind of sales point to the the kind of grindhouse uh, promotion of it for sure. I mean, what a you know, what a kind of you know, what a, a treat or what a kind of gift to to have to promote your film. Like it's it's perfect, isn't it? Really? Yeah, for sure. The the, um, the movie Fearless Fighters. Speaking of uh, grindhouse. Uh, classics uh that was an old taiwanese swordplay movie that was brought to the u.s it also has a um a group of uh of fighters with fighters with with various skills and mm. uh but they're very extravagant those skills and those weapons so the u.s poster art campaign played that up uh, beautifully you know witness this and this see this and this and it worked like a charm on the grindhouse circuit and the uh, drive-in circuit and uh, all of that how to sell a film 101 mm-hmm. um so yeah as for brief opinions here of one on boxer 
I think Jimmy Wang Yu had a knack for delivering uh, as a filmmaker, an active, sometimes crazy, amped time with the sort of basher type of film. And it's cool how um, one on boxers fe- boxer feels uh, like it's not restrained by a studio system, but rather it's uh, working almost on its own uh, sort of uh, terms. And, uh, There's no mandate to produce a certain type of film like there would be at Shaw Brothers, like to an, to an extent, you know, it's got a kind of the, all the Shaw Brothers films or the different directors fit a certain mold. But, you know, with this, it just feels like, uh, you know, Jimmy just... He's he's more concerned with getting in, getting out, and shaking it all about, you know, just the near constant craziness. All manner of characters and styles in one film, and I, I think that adds to the fun and fairly hard impact of the film. And I, I think it's quite essential if you want to get a taste of what Jimmy Wang Yu brings. Uh, and it isn't elegant uh, martial arts by design, but he does that ever so well, and uh, yeah. in my opinion, a ton of fun. It's got more of a comic book style, hasn't it? You could argue. I mean, it's it, it's definitely more lightweight than One-Armed Swordsman and less classy and, and definitely less expensive looking. But, you know, it's more focused on uh, delivering the goods. Yeah, it, it, it really is a fun contrast. I, I agree. Uh, it has the same tropes of picking yourself up again, of course. But um, Chang Che proved there's drama in that template. Jimmy Wang Yu proves that there's fun in that template uh, here. Definitely. It's more in tune with... What followed afterwards in the in the kung fu boom of the you know the early seventies uh, and what Jimmy had started with Chinese boxer then you know the one armed swordsman it's kind of its own its own path it's on the path that Jimmy was kind of carving out as a kind of you know kung fu madman yeah I mean it has uh, it's the early seventies style brawling uh, here uh, with uh, the added uh, benefit I think of uh, the not the musical soundtrack being loud but all the fighting foley being so loud to, to beefy dude yeah, yeah it's beefy, beefy. And, and there's nothing refined here it's just messy but uh, i think jimmy for, for his lack of skills as a martial artist he really could immerse himself into a brawl and be active and come off as fairly impactful fairly hard he sells it doesn't he i mean again there's a lot of people a lot of actors or martial arts actors that were kind of athletic but from different backgrounds and uh, jimmy's was uh swimming wasn't it so yeah, there's a lot of like Michelle Yeoh was was uh, she was she was um, ballet, wasn't she? And I think it's a lot of actors like that, a lot of martial arts actors that come from different backgrounds. As long as it's athletic, I think you you kind of have the goods to sell, you know, martial arts fights. Was was Beardy was the same, wasn't he? He was he, he didn't have any prior training, but because he was kind of very athletic, he just was able to sell it on, on camera the uh, the fights. Yeah, 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 for sure. He didn't come into movies with a with a set style, but, but he adapted quite uh, quite uh, neatly, you know. Whether yeah. whether Wing Chun or something more in um, messier, a bit more brawly. I mean, the first fight here isn't uh, the best the movie can offer up in terms of aggression, intensity, and craziness, but it is about establishing that fighting tone, if you will, and, they, and that this is just a town. There's martial arts schools. There's inflamed conflicts as rivals eye the factories uh, and uh, their production and they, they want to step into have the opium be the thing that the people buy and the good guys they make bricks so <laughs> okay. there's nothing there's nothing that much refined but uh, i think yeah it, it's all sufficient and i think one of the better highlights to be honest is the fight between the elders of the school I yeah, think, yeah i think that night that hand-to-hand uh, flurry and fury 
between uh, those uh, those guys. Uh, Chen Ye from the Rivals School side and Ma Chi Wang plays Jimmy Wang Yu's teacher. That choreography between those two, I think they, they look pretty good, actually. They're not super old, but they're the elder, dead elders. Yeah, they do. Are you talking about that, that kind of fight about midway where the characters or the kind of the... the the magnificent uh seven of uh <laughs> no 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 it's the fight before when he first uh defeats the character of chow and then he hires the mercenaries yeah, yeah of course yeah yeah really really good uh, really really good they get to kind of show off their stuff i think everyone gets a really good chance to kind of show off their skills and with it being kind of constant action it just it just doesn't slow down and kind of they just throw everyone into uh to, to have a go and get a chance to kind of look look awesome on, on film you know uh in combat and everyone comes off you know, really good, especially especially Jimmy. Is the positive that it's intense rather than complex? Is is that how it survives? You know, it could be a good way of yeah, that could be a good way of uh, of putting it. But again, I mean, the story's classic kung fu stuff, isn't it? It's nothing too too heady, nothing too complex. But I think it, it is the kind of constant fights and the constant fights that are kept entertaining by having you know that really colorful cast of characters it just it just throws everything in the pot really fast and it gets things cooking you know really quick and i think you know jimmy as as a filmmaker was really good at that you could tell i think the the big difference or the kind of huge in the glaring example of what differentiated him from chang chae as a director was that chang chae spent you know an hour on on jimmy having his arm chopped off uh, and kind of with jimmy's character sorry having having his arm chopped off and getting back into the fight and Jimmy as a director in this film, he actually puts his uh, comeback or his, his kind of his kind of training to, to come back after his uh, arm chopped arm chopping incident um, in uh, just kind of like uh, it's a montage, isn't it? It's like still frames. Here's the here's the slides we uh, we made during this transition. <laughs> this is the PowerPoint presentation we made of the film. Yeah, it, it's just not interested in in kind of that side of the story, which makes it a, a very different beast to you know, one on swords in mean, a lot of the films that he was making uh, at Shaw Brothers because him as a director, I think he's definitely got his own style and uh, and it might not be as classy as some of the directors he's worked with, but it's just, it just, it gets down to it. It's nitty and gritty, just kind of straight away and kind of gives you what you want really in, in a film of this type. Yeah, for sure. And um, even though he does repeat a little bit from Chinese Boxer in terms of the, let's say, the imported fighters. Uh, he obviously expands on it here because in Chinese Boxer, he brought in three and here, here uh, he has like 12. <laughs> yeah, and a lot of the dudes come back for um, Fair Fallen Guillotine, don't they? Yeah, they, they, and they expand on their abilities too because in Master of the Flying Guillotine, you have the, 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 the character that extends his arms, right? And uh, that, people argue, is the inspiration for one of oh, the fighters in Street Fighter 2. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, which is plausible because most of the flying eighteen was a was a popular sort of grindhouse uh, driving hit in in the seventies. So, I think uh, Capcom might have had an eye towards that. Okay, okay, I'm I'm saying that. I mean, Capcom they're Japanese, right? So maybe you know it was popular in Japan as well. So whatever. No, I think so. I think so, definitely. By having so many different uh, flavors to the mercenaries, you know, the Indian and Thai and Japanese, we got judo, karate, yoga, taekwondo. It's so much fun. I mean, it, it's not necessarily politically correct because some of them, <laughs> some of them have blackface uh, to make them look uh, more like they come from India or whatever. But 
Dini guy. He looks more like the Tin Man in a turban than an Indian dude. He's got like this silver face paint on. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't really make any sense, but it adds to the kind of grindhousey kind of feel of the film, which which I like. You know. I mean, could could you explain the fact that Long Fei from Japan, why that he has fangs? Yeah, he got the vampire teeth, hasn't he? I don't understand that at Japanese. all. I don't know why. I, I don't. I don't know why the monks come crashing through the ceiling for their entrance. I mean, so unnecessary, but but so awesome. Um, there's a lot of things that don't really make sense, but it moves so fast. It just you're in. You're just in it to win it. Just events happening left, right, and center, and it just keeps you on your toes. And it's just yeah, it's just nonstop hip hop, dude. It's amazing. He he had uh, he had skills at making these elements stick. It's true for Chinese boxer to a degree. Because uh, it really feels like his movie to a large degree rather than uh, Shaw, Brothers ma- Shaw Brothers mandating that uh, it's going to be made this way. Um, but the, it would get better in his own movies over in Taiwan and this and, and this one, uh, that's for sure. Uh, I, mean, I mean, also, as crazy and kooky as it is, uh, the style is very straightforward. So sometimes it's just about a hard punch to the body or head for someone to just die right there. Yeah. Yeah, or a punch to the arm for your arm to come off, you know. Exactly, it just comes <laughs> right chop. off. And, and I mean, it all it all requires, all the craziness we've discussed, it, it requires some pretty bad, uh, big acting rather, but uh, it works for the mood of the fight scenes. Uh, uh, Wang Yu through, uh, has this brute force and uh, even desperation in certain parts of the film, navigating the fight scene, you know, uh, and in, in the scene in the factory, they unexpectedly had to, evade uh, weapons i think there's fire and uh, it, it is you know lethal all of this it's not uh, just uh, respectful fighting obviously so uh, uh, but but there's some decently dynamic filming and editing here uh, and uh, some experimental angles of course select slow motion so he's working with his action director uh, well and um, they they make it clear and cinematic uh, through some fun uh, stylistic choices but as you said pace and the uh, elements within the movie the the, the color uh, that uh, the mercenaries uh, represents no pun intended but you know they're, they're so different and also that this is really a, a basher and a loud movie it's kind of a irresistible it, it makes you just sit back and like ah i can get on, on with this no need to question uh fangs or any techniques <laughs> on display here i guess it's kind of just internal chi or something <laughs> uh, well, I think, as you were kind of saying before, I think one of the saws and working better with the uh, the original Mandarin track. I think this works better with the dub just because it's just easier for it to kind of it's just it's just kind of basic in terms of the story. And it's got some, you know, really good lines and in the dub. Uh, and it just kind of it works well with the pace of the film. I think you don't have to kind of stop and, and read anything. It just kind of goes from kind of one action beat to another. And I think watching it with the dub kind of really, really enhances it. One thing that uh, he actually didn't do well in the sequel, uh, there's a big tournament fight there, but it's a sports event, right? Mm. That goes on for way too long. In this one, though, there isn't a tournament sequence, but obviously there's tons of different fights and different people versus uh, the mercenaries and so forth during the uh, funeral sequence and uh, where the arm chop happens. That goes on for a long time, but uh, I, I don't know if you see Master of the Flying Team. But regardless, do, 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 do you think it sort of earns staying with this sequence? Is it fun all throughout, despite going on for that long? 
Yeah, this 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 you're talking about the one that's this, the one I was going to speak about earlier, the one that comes about halfway through yes. when yeah, when all the the fires are kind of in, individually introduced. Yeah, no, I think it's it's great. As I was saying earlier, I think everyone gets a chance to shine in it, and Jimmy kind of comes in, uh, or Jimmy's character, uh, Yu Tian Lung comes in and uh, kicks some ass and then kind of goes away and then, you know, gives other people a chance to have a fight. And I think it's good because you get to see the kind of the prowess or the kind of, or at least the individual fighting styles of the different characters, uh, which obviously sets it up for later, them coming back and kind of, you know, him, Yutun Lung, going against them kind of in the finale and that, you know, amazing kind of gravel pit kind of backdrop, which is very unique in the... Gives it kind of a different different angle, quite quite iconic. I would and, say, and I mean, it doesn't um, appear samey all throughout the fight scenes because uh, all of a sudden the Tibetan fighters inflate their chest. Yeah, <laughs> it looks ridiculous, of course. But it's one of those like eyebrow raising. What the fuck is going on here? But this is awesome moments. Definitely the Indian guy who kind of uh, who walks around on his hands. You know, again, it, it could kind of maybe look silly, and in, in, it does look silly, but it can kind of not work in a lot of other films. But in this one, it just it's does. It's done in jump cuts. That's why it looks silly as well. It the jump cuts in it, but it happens so fast, and it just kind of you don't really. The film just doesn't take any time to breathe. You don't really question it. It just kind of keeps you know getting better and better as it progresses. So I think it, it works. And, and and even and even if the arm chop is like almost completely bloodless, I, I love I love that it's also kind of out of left field, and uh, Lung Fei uh, just chops it off like it's uh, like it's nothing and i yeah. it's 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 fun and uh, then he's out for a while and uh, all of the all the students all face uh, gory uh, gory death some eye gouging which is the classic chang chia thing as well and uh, even though you know the iron fist leaves a bloody handprint on, on someone's chest rather than imprint so that's kind of cool and i agree he's he's been confident and he is confident at keeping us to this one sequence for long and doing two armed stuff for nearly an hour and I think he wants it actually, rather than after ten minutes. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Man. I, I I agree with that. It definitely takes some stuff from them. Five Fingers of Death, or maybe Five Fingers of Death took some stuff from this with the uh, the training montage with the hands, with the uh, the palms. Um, I don't know. They, but they both came out the same year, didn't they? So I don't know whether one came, what came first, the chicken or the egg. Yeah, yeah. Who knows? I mean, it's. Uh, I don't know which one's the chicken, which one's the egg. I don't know. I don't know about that either. I'm I'm, I'm not smart smart enough for that. We got some good nuggets out of it, either way. It's a cool sequence because uh, when we when we get out of the PowerPoint uh, presentation, uh, <laughs> and I wonder part. if they shot footage for it, but just said like, let's just speed it up with stills because uh, who cares? Possibly, yeah. It didn't. It might have been uh, intentionally planned, but it seems like just because there was maybe they'd kind of worked out the ending of the film and the, the middle section, they kind of just thought, yeah, we'll just speed it up as, and no, as, as quickly like as possible. Six months later, or anything, but it's like no, no. taken in and a few stills later. Oh, I'm fine. Happened in one one hour. <laughs> but uh, I do like um, that uh, it streamlines it and uh, it, it, it of course also means that we don't get that much character depth for his rescuers including the female lead I suppose even though she's not in it too much uh, Cindy Tang but um, the movie survives by being a kung fu revenge picture that's over yeah. and done with but uh, yeah, cl- clearly um, it's not much of a role here but it's fun how they're gonna solve and strengthen him by killing the nerves in his working hand to yeah. uh, enhance the new technique, and it blackens the hand as well. Yeah, man. which yeah. looks uh, 
like obviously like like the hand has has been in a fire and you know the coal has blackened it or anything but it and everything but it looks kind of cool and then you get to the contraptions as he drops uh, that uh, rock weight on his hand and he doesn't feel a thing and he gets stronger and stronger and stronger <laughs> and it's it's fun i mean tropes are fun and training sequences rarely uh, bore me uh, they can be done poorly definitely but i think if they've got like a unique like take on it or they've got an individual kind of take on it they, they kind of hold up and, and this one definitely does you know if they had a little something new to it same like you know 36 times of Shaolin or something obviously being a bit more complex but if there's something there that's, that's quite unique compared to the rest of the training montages that they, they kind of hold up iconic iconic stuff for sure any favorite moments as he uh we, we get a second uh you know how the movie opens so when they enter the yeah. restaurant and then he does a similar scene when he comes back and uh, he's fully trained and um, his his arm is black and ready to go. <laughs> I mean those techniques where he where he um, where he he doesn't fall to the floor, uh, fall to the floor but he bounces back. Uh, he, he he bounces back. I mean it's cheesy, but how, how is that for you? Is that fun to see? That's his technique that you, he can be sort of he can be knocked down but he comes right back up like he's a spring or something. My opinion is I think Michael Jackson definitely saw this film. <laughs> That's my opinion on it. But no, as I say, man, it was, it's like the kind of jumping around on the hands thing. It just works. Like it's, you know, it's daft. But again, so sounding so fast, you don't really stop to kind of notice, you know, the kind of hokiness of it. It's just, it works perfectly in the film, I think. It's a good showcase for how he rapidly moves through opponents, Jimmy Wang Yu. And I love the one that he sideswipes once that goes out the window onto the streets and then he's Oh, the, the dummy. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, no, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, and like, there's that, there's that dummy that gets chucked out the window in the, the mill that he's, that he's fighting in at one point. Sure, sure. But this is in the restaurant, though, which is such a neat thing because he punches him once, but it's a large sideswipe. And that that looks cool, not refined, but it looks cool. It looks it's fun. And, uh, you know, in the quarry, I, I love that, you know, obviously most of the if not all the fighters that we saw in the middle of the movie are going to come back because it needs to yep. go through them one by one funnily enough that all works as well even though there's some comically quick dispatches because he needs to he he, he runs across the bridge at one point so someone comes uh, across the bridge he throws them off the bridge and then keeps running because we need to get to the finale also, also. so we can't spend a few minutes on each and every one of you uh, you know, Blackie Co. Uh, as the Tie Fighter, we can spend some time with you, but uh, you there, uh, we're gonna throw you off a bridge. So, fine. <laughs> we need to get the Long Fei and his fangs. Them, uh, them's are the breaks, unfortunately, in such a a crowded, you know, in a good way film. You know, lots of different characters. No real weakness there in the finale. I mean, it's uh, it, it's Agree, uh, yeah. it, it's a fun, it's a budget solution, of course, being in the quarry. But it works because uh, there, there's some, um, as Wang Yu and Lung Fei faces off, both of them get quite hurt and they're channeling as much strength and rage as possible and and uh, suitable comeuppance will happen. Spoilers, spoilers, uh, or figure it out for yourself. It's a movie called One on Boxer. So. <laughs> it's great fun. And, um, I've seen that displayed a fair amount of times. As Jimmy makes his uh, movies, uh, he had a knack for, for this. Yeah, no, I agree, agree. And this is kind of like during the the height of his his career as a director, and he would make interesting films going forward. But I think this one stands kind of one of his is one of his most funner, funner or funnest or just fun ones, whatever whatever that word is in its plural. I, I still don't know. 
you can uh, do no wrong uh, watching this. I mean, you can watch most of what he directed and have a good time. Just Beach of the War Gods uh, was, be, uh, was pretty big and impressive. Uh, One on Swords Men is not. It's that two-hour David Chiang Wang Yu movie that just failed failed on every conceivable That's level. Not so great. Uh, but then obviously Master of the Flying Guillotine. Tiger and Crane Fist was the movie that was the basis for Kung Pao Enter the Fist. Do you remember that one? With Steve Odekirk in, in the in the place of Jimmy Wang Yu. <laughs> What's up, Tiger Lily vibe? Yeah, even though uh, it was a two-minute joke. Extended to 90 minutes. I hated Kung Pao and the Fist. I really hated it. The original movie is pretty good. And technically, it's not bad how they um, put Steve Odekirk in the scenes instead of Jimmy Wang Yu. But... Kenneth Brawson hates fun. Look, it's the Matrix parody with a cow. Well, I think if you were, you know, you were a film made in 98 or 99 or even 2000, you had to have a Matrix parody in it. It was the requirement, unfortunately. Yeah. So, you know, don't be mad at it for that. Don't be hating, Ken. Well, whatever. <laughs> they named the technique in the trailer, by the way, uh, in the Mandarin trailer. Uh, the the new fighting for the handicapped, Chan Kun Do. But we don't hear that on the English dub, but the trailer uh, uh, dub it as, as a new technique. And it's also, uh, it throws up on the, on the screen a film of documentary realism. Okay, then. <laughs> okay. Is that why the guy That's... inflated himself? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's, you know, maybe a tad misleading, but let's go with that, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm all for it. I'm down it, with it. It resulted in this movie, so fine. You, you say what you need. Uh, so so check out the trailer. It's one of those fun uh, f- fun uh, uh, things that uh, they created to promote this thing in uh, in Asia and things. Uh, anything else you want to say? That's the, uh, I think it's the end of my notes as well, buddy. I think we uh, we covered everything there, or at least as, as much as we could. Did we establish if you had seen the sequel to this Master of the Flying Guillotine? Yeah, I have, I have seen that one. Yeah, I think it's one of one of Jimmy's uh, Jimmy's best. So I think he would probably make films, you know, more bizarre than this. But uh, <laughs> this this one kind of stands one of his best for, for sure. He's great in it, but uh, really the highlights is obviously the monk playing uh, the master of the flying guillotine. Really makes a an imprint, an impression, and uh, I also like that the one on Boxer is a little bit of a cheating doo-doo head in Master <laughs> of the Fly Game Team because he, he sets up fights that uh, is going to play to his advantage. At one point he fights uh, someone in a house, but the floor is a steel floor that's heated from underneath. It's, it's um, probably a TIE fighter at that point that he's yeah. uh, fighting, and they, they fight bare, barefoot. So he therefore gains an advantage by uh, heating up the Putting floor. Putting shoes on. Oh. <laughs> so it's a little bit of a cheating doo-doo head, but uh, boy, I like it's a fun film. I like that about, about, about that character. Yeah, that's a great one. And uh, Return of the Chinese Box is pretty pretty weird as well. Pretty weird and wild, which is... Uh, a little said, slow going, but sometimes... Uh, it, weirdly enough, he made, so to say, sequels. Neither of them feel like a sequel quite late. I mean, seven years between the Chinese Boxers... Four years between the one on boxers. Yeah, they're kind of their own thing, really. I mean, they're kind of sequels in, in title, just just in title, really. But yeah, uh, recommendations definitely. Uh, still haven't seen his um, resurgent roles. Uh, his role in Wuxia that he got quite a bit of acclaim for. The I say the Donnie Yen movie. I don't know if Donnie Yen is the lead or anything. Uh, yeah, the one with Takashi Kanashiro. Yes. Uh, yeah, I cannot remember it. That's probably how that's how good he was. I can't the, remember. I remember he got uh, quite a bit of acclaim for it. Might have been nominated or even won an award for his uh, supporting role in um, that one. Yeah, it's kind of his comeback, wasn't it? I think. Yeah, yeah, he hadn't been in a film since 1993. Yeah. 
Jeez, was Iron the Fire his last film then? Uh, no, no, he did a uh, sword play movie called The, the Beheaded 1000 in 1993. Ah, yeah, I've um, seen that so. one. It's Taiwanese joint, was it? Yes. Yeah, um, I haven't seen that one. But yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd like to see Jimmy, Jimmy come back. Jimmy Mack, when are you coming back? 2011 and then disappearing again. Apparently. He had some health problems too, uh, so that. obviously didn't uh, uh, didn't go full on like I'm going to make four movies a year or anything. So, uh, uh, but yeah, he uh, 2013 was his last appearance in a movie called Soul over in Taiwan. It's a horror movie apparently. So mm, interesting. I'd be uh, interested to check that out. And apparently he's in Andrew Lau's uh, Flying Guillotines remake, uh, the Shaw Brothers Flying Guillotines remake. Oh, that was called just called the, the Guillotines. The Guillotines yeah. <laughs> and I don't think anyone liked that film. Uh, I heard nothing but uh, sort of like eh. inventive title. As for availability of one on Boxer, it's currently on Japanese Blu-ray. Um, it has no English subtitles, but an English dub track is available. Reportedly, the transfer is upscaled from standard definition and the remix tracks, and there are only remix tracks on it, are apparently poorly remixed. So mm. it's a little bit, uh, little bit of uh, uh, a letdown. It's what Fortune Star specializing. Yes, <laughs> You can stream it on Amazon Prime US English, with an English dub only, and I, I scanned it a little bit because you, you can get to it through VPN. It sounded like a new dub track, not the same we watched, um, and it didn't sound as good, to be honest. Yeah, you definitely want a classic one. It's uh, it is it is a classic one. Uh, there was also a four movie Wang Yu collection on US DVD for, uh, that included this movie, but that set looks to be out of print now, probably a bit pricey. On the Amazon UK marketplace, you can get an older German DVD edition that has the original English dub track. Yeah. Uh, it has no English subtitles, but I've found that in this case, the English dub track is quite uh, fetching for uh, for this movie. So, um, uh, so that's my edition of choice, that uh, German one that uh, doesn't have English subtitles, but an English dub track. That's what we watched for this viewing. We enjoyed it. So thank you, Jay, Professor and Jay Lee, for pairing up these two one-armed movies for us. So, Shout uh, out. So that's it for this episode of the Versus series. For all your podcast on Fire Network needs, go to our website. Relevant social media links and relevant show links are available to you in the show post or present on the main page at all times. And so that's my plugs out of the way. The Logalogs, the podcast, it's going to continue into a second season eventually, or what's the plan? That's, I mean, that's it. The breakups happen. Me and Stu just no longer feel the same way about each other. You know, after 10 episodes, you just... We're so famous. Things are revealed, and, you know, between all the groupies and the cocaine, you just lose yourself. Yeah, uh, logalogs, the com, uh or your podcasts we've got a whole season of uh podcasts there for you to indulge in uh all social media links are there was that okay Stu? yeah it was fine your accent <laughs> changed a little bit yeah i had an accent transplant that's weird those do it's okay. a bit more posh but more yeah. like a clown for some reason I've, I've moved to inverness so my accent's changed a little bit okay dude that's cool thanks is that okay though yeah that's cool yeah it's juice as that was an all right plug so yeah we're done with that <laughs> So I'm surprised you didn't do your uh, your. I'm sure you have a Scottish uh, impression in you. I do, which you ban me from using. Can I do it? <laughs> it's, it's about as good as that. Yeah. Shape <laughs> being Scottish. It. That's my in, and then I can't do anything else because I just remember lines from uh, Transportings. <laughs> With the laws of the law. 
Don't remember much from it, but that, those two lines stuck with me. <laughs> Let's stop there before Stu kicks me off the show. So, uh... <laughs> uh, so uh, thanks, Tom, for taking part, and uh, thank you, Jay, for programming. And uh, we'll uh, we'll be back because uh, there are plenty more selections in the versus uh, catalog that Jay provided to us on different themes, whether wuxia horror dark wuxia um, mercenaries uh, on a mission so he's got a blend of swordplay kung fu and modern lined up for us so awesome this guy needs to give this guy a desk job at the pof headquarters for uh for certain i think he needs one well he's the pof historian so i he, he's got an official title whether he likes it or not I think he does. I think he likes that one. I think he's put that on his, on his CV. He's all about fame, so I think he's enjoying it. <laughs> he, cl- he claims we are famous, and to that I say, nah. Yes, we are. <laughs> Do you want my autograph? Do you like black or red Sharpie? Red looks good on darker, darker things. You've got a darker photo of me. That's good. You've got those ones of me in the dark. They look, they look fantastic. At any rate, we are going to conclude this episode. So I've been Kenny and with me was Tom KW to discuss one-armed swordsman and one-armed boxer. So thank you, Tom, and say goodbye to, to the no, kids. Always, absolute pleasure as always. Goodbye, kids and adults and if there's any animals listening. I love you all. <laughs>